really the last couple of weeks as we've been digging in to this first chapter, we've been seeing that James has been telling us that real faith, that genuine faith in God, that when it is stretched, it doesn't break. That real faith in God actually, when it's stretched, actually produces stability. It produces steadfastness. And James gives us three examples, really, of how this works. Um, In uh, verses 2 through 12, James had told us that when trials hit our life, and there's a ton of different ways that trials do that, and there's a ton of different trials that we encounter, that when trials come, trials do not squash our faith, but actually it causes our faith to emerge. That trials actually cause real faith in God to actually be lived out in our lives. And then last week we saw in verses 13 through 18 that faith in God, true faith in God, holds on to God and the promises of his word when, they, when we face temptations. That temptations don't crush our faith, but actually draw us near to God and hold on to God more deeply. And then today, what we're going to be looking at in verses 19 through 27 is that James says that faith in God hears God's word, receives God's word, and then lives out God's word. Another way we could say it is that faith hears, receives, and obeys God. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And James is going to show us that our behaviors, the way that we behave, the the words that we speak, the thoughts that we have are all directly related and revealed by what's really going on in our hearts. Another way to say that then is our behavior is a direct result of what we believe deeply in our hearts. And so James says, hey, sometimes in reality, there's a gap between what we say we believe and then how we're actually living our lives. And so James says, hey, guess what, guys? Real faith, that's not how it lives. Real faith says that if you believe God, you're gonna obey God and the world's gonna see that. And we're gonna see how Jesus knocks down and creates that, takes that gap and shrinks it so that we're able to actually do what we say we believe with his power. That's good news. So we're gonna look at verses 19 through 27. I'm gonna ask that you stand with me as I read the passage for this morning. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. Father, we ask this morning that you give us ears to, ears to hear, hearts to receive, motivation and joy in which to obey. Father, I ask that you set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. The words of my mouth and meditation of my heart, God, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So James is starting here, verse 19. He says, know this. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. And in some translations, um, it will say, you already know this. So James is saying, hey, I want to remind you again. This is good stuff. Listen up. Hear this. Know this. Every person, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, now, if you remember when we started uh, the beginning of James, we said that James is kind of known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, that there's so much wisdom that James gives. And if you think about the genre of this letter, it's called, uh, theologians will call it wisdom literature. And if you're familiar with wisdom literature, especially in the Old Testament, if you're looking at Proverbs or you're looking at Ecclesiastes, Psalms, you know that it tells you often that the wise person is someone who listens more than they speak, right? That's what the wise person will do. And some of us are sitting here going, wow, I need to be a little bit more wise. <laughs> and what James is saying is gospel wisdom is quick to hear before, someone, before he or she speaks. That somebody who has gospel wisdom is going to listen to what the gospel says before he or she speaks their mind. And family, I, I think that what James has for us today is super important for us living in a world like we're living in. Is that too many of us are speaking way too quickly and listening far too little than what we really should be. And we're called to be listening well before we speak. And James is gonna confront us with that today and we're gonna see how that works out in our lives and we need to listen to the gospel well. And that's what James is saying is, I want you to be quick to hear. Well, what are we supposed to be hearing what is it that James wants, to, wants us to really hear this morning? And Chris talked about this last week. Go back to verse 18, just one verse before. And James says, of his own will, this is God, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That the word of truth, another way we can know that it's the gospel, brings us to life. It awakens us from the dead. And then now, because of God's grace, because he's awakened us, this by the word of truth, his gospel, we are now a, a kind of first fruits. Really what that means is we are the beginnings of God's people that are now called to go into the harvest of the world and declare and proclaim the good news of Jesus. So James is like, I want you to be quick to hear the gospel before you start speaking about things. And so I want to ask you, family, how well are you doing with listening to the gospel? Is it shaping your life? 
Is it informing the things that you speak? Are you doing well to hear what God's word has to say before you're willing to give your opinion about anything? And we need to be a people listening well to the gospel before we speak into the world. And that's what James is telling us this morning. And he says, we are to be slow to speak, slow to anger, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, what does James mean by, here, by the righteousness of God? Basically, he doesn't mean that it's the righteousness of Christ that is ours when we come to faith in Jesus. He's saying righteousness here is uh, how we think, how we speak, and how we act that reflects who God is and what he's like to the world. So James is saying that the anger of man and woman does not produce the righteousness of God. And let me ask you again, family, when people see our lives, when they look at your life, do they see the righteousness of God in and through you? Do they hear your words reflect what God is like and what he requires of you? And James confronts us here in this passage saying, you cannot say you are a follower of Jesus and say, I believe that, and then act totally contrary to that. And anger here is contrary to a follower of Jesus. And what James is saying, again, wisdom literature, if you go back to wisdom literature, it's constantly saying, this is almost always true. Okay, and so James is saying that this is almost always true that your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And let me just throw a caveat out there. Uh, maybe you're saying, well, wait, wait, Jesus got angry, right? We remember that. I mean, you remember the Jesus in the gospels where he came into the temple, the, the place of worship for the Jews, and he overturned the, the money tables and he, and he sent out the, the, the lenders and he was basically clearing God's temple out of all the idolatry that was going on. And it was a righteous anger. And Jesus is God. And he can get angry righteously. And there is a sense that yes, we should be angry at things like injustice. We should be angry at brokenness that we see around our world. But, but James is saying it's almost always true, however, that when we do get angry, we're not being righteous. Um, J.A. Moitner, who is a uh, theologian and scholar, uh, wrote this, uh, writing on this passage. He said, this is what anger is like. He said, anger is not a pure emotion it is usually impregnated with sin. Self-importance, self-assertion, intolerance, stubbornness. Most of us would have to confess that, that holy anger belongs in a state of sanctification, which that's a big word that means becoming more like Jesus. It belongs in a state of sanctification to which we have not attained an angry spirit is never an attentive one. And when anger comes in, listening flies out. James is saying it's almost always true that when you're angry, you're not producing the righteousness of God. It's more like what 
Moitner said in that definition is how our anger usually is expressed. Um, God always has a great way of when, when I'm preparing for a sermon to kind of like take the text and go, yeah, take that, right? Deal with that. Um, and, and there were times this week where um, I, w- I just jumped the gun. I got really angry, um, which is very rare for me to do. thought you were over in the kids. I don't know what's going on there this morning. So, um, but no, but you know, when I, when I get angry, it's like, you know, I, I'm not quick to hear. And, and when I get angry, it's because um, I want to prove I'm right. I want to prove somebody else wrong. I want to get the last word in. And uh, because um, I, 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 the way I'm wired, that I want to be in control, that a lot of times when I lose the control that I think I should have, that's when I get angry. And then I kind of just, I'm quick to speak. And that never works well. Ever does it work well. And see, when James is saying we need to be quick to hear the gospel, it changes the way that we react to situations. And so when I'm angry, I have a choice in that moment to allow myself to believe lies that I have to be in control or that I have to prove myself or I have to be right or I have to prove that they're wrong. Whatever it looks like, I can believe that lie or I can go back to the good news of the gospel that says, Wade, remember, hear the gospel. What is true of who Jesus is? that Jesus is the righteous one, the advocate that I have who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has forgiven me. What has Jesus done? He's the gracious one that has invited me into the family of God. He's covered up my anger. All of my sin is gone. And he looks to the Father and he says, Dad, don't look at what Wade is doing in his anger. Look at what I've done perfectly. I've covered up his anger. I've covered up that sin. Look at him. What does that make me now? Who am I in Jesus? I am now a beloved son of God, completely covered, eternally his. I now have newness of life. I now have the spirit of God in me that says you no longer have to be angry. So how then do I live my life? Because I know I have a gracious dad, I no longer have to prove myself anymore. So I don't have to get angry. See how that works itself out? That that process of sanctification though, of becoming more like Jesus, is how fast do we get to that point when things fall apart? And James is saying, be quick to hear the gospel, the good news. So when we hear the good news of the gospel, we also need to receive the good news of the gospel. Verse 21, James continues and he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, that's humility, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, because what, has already, what I've already said, this is what's true now, 
put away. Uh, that phrase um, usually had to do with clothing. And the idea was that you would put away, you take off dirty clothes that um, you were clothed in. And it had even went deeper in the Greek. It was to signify you had a complete change of your life. Put off the clothes, put off that filthiness, change your life completely, put it away. And he says, put away all filthiness. And I'm gonna just define some of these words here in this verse because super important for us to understand what James is saying. Filthiness. The, the, the phrase in the Greek came to be known as a medical term. It meant wax in your ear. Yeah, interesting, right? And if James means this, then what he could be saying is that put away everything that stops up your ears from hearing the good news of the gospel. Put away the filthiness. Let me ask you, what is stopping up your ears from hearing God's word? Several years ago, um, I had to stop listening to talk radio. I still listen to it from time to time. Uh, but I found myself having, you know, listening, and it wasn't just the conservative side, it was the liberal side, it wasn't just KTAR, it was NPR, and, and, and I still listen to those, and those, it's not bad, just let me hear you say it. But what was happening is that was becoming what was defining my worldview. And I realized that that's not good. It was stopping up my ears. I was listening more to what the conservative side said or more what the liberal side said rather than what does Jesus say? What's stopping my ears? What's stopping your ears from hearing the good news of Jesus this week? Rampant, this rampant wickedness, rampant means ongoing, persistent, kind of think, I can think of like weeds in a garden. You never seem to get rid of them, right? They're always growing. They're, they're always there. This is what James is saying. James is saying, you should want to get rid of the filthiness of sin in your life. That like weeds are choking out the fruit of the gospel. Get rid of it. Put it away. Take off those filthy clothes. You are not marked by that. And so for some of us in here, putting away, taking off those filthy garments might mean it's for you to confess, Jesus, I need you. I totally trust that you alone can save. I'm no longer gonna be defined by what I think I need to do. I'm no longer gonna be defined by what others think I should be or what I should do. I'm now defined by you. I'm confessing to you, God. I'm taking off these filthy garments. I'm gonna trust and follow you. For some of us in here, taking off those filthy garments of wickedness may mean that you need to shut off your television. Maybe you're watching too much stuff. Whether you're watching CNN or Fox News, whether you're watching too much Netflix, I don't know. It may not be, maybe that is stopping up your ears. Maybe that is defining who you are more than what the good news of Jesus is doing in your life. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of God in you. And I wanna encourage you, ask the spirit to reveal what is clogging up your heart. What's clogging up your ears from hearing the good news of Jesus? He'll do that. He'll do that. 
And I get it, it's a scary thing to do. It's kind of like James gets that, right? Because he says, instead, I want you to receive with meekness the implanted word. I want you to receive with humility God's word. Why do you think he uses that? Because it takes humility to say, Jesus, I'm messed up. Jesus, I need to know by, through your spirit, where am I not listening to you well? And so James is like, hear God's word and then in humility, just acknowledge that you need Christ and that you aren't listening to the gospel and living it out well and then receive the truth of God's word. It's to mean to fully embrace it. Don't just hear it, embrace it, believe it. Come to Jesus and say, I need your implanted word that is able, as James says, to save my soul. That's super good. Uh, chances are that as James is writing this, he's thinking back into the Old Testament story and you think about our six symbols of the true story of God. And the third symbol, if you can kind of think it in your head, what is that symbol of the true story? Promise, right? And the promise of that forward era was not only that God promised that in the garden that a savior would come and crush the head of the serpent, but it was the promises that God made all throughout the Old Testament. And one of the promises that God made in Ezekiel 36 was that someday he was going to give his people a new heart. And, it was, and he used this beautiful imagery that he was gonna take out the heart of stone which basically meant a heart that is just devoid of any sort of devotion to God. And he was gonna replace that heart of stone with the heart of flesh that was beating the life of Jesus. And he was gonna give the spirit of God into his people's hearts that would bring new life, that would bring the power to overcome sin, that would be able to, to walk in the freedom. That's the implanted word that James probably is thinking of here. It's been implanted in you and it's able to save your souls. Here's the good news. The gospel, the implanted word of God has not only saved you, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done has not only saved you, the gospel of Jesus is still saving you now. And so every day we need to come back and receive. James, when he's talking about receive with meekness, it's not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing, every moment, day by day by day, hear the gospel, receive it, believe it, come back to Jesus and say, I need to believe you. I need you. Father, I have not been quick to hear your good news. I've been super fast to anger. I've been super fast to speak just careless words. I need you, Jesus. Receive again the good news of that. That's what James is saying. It's able to save your souls. Jesus is still saving us. And the gospel also says that someday he will finally save us when he comes again and makes us new. So when we hear the good news of the gospel, we're to receive it, we're to fully embrace it, 
but we're also then to obey it. And God gives us the power to obey. Uh, in verse 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, aka the gospel, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. How do you know if you've received the implanted word of God in your life? You do what it says. You do what it says. And family, I'm concerned that too many Christians today say they believe the gospel, but their lives reflect nothing of what the gospel requires. We say we believe, we fail to do. And we're not talking about legalism because a lot of, the, the, a lot of trends today, especially uh, in, in churches, it's like, well, don't talk to me about obedience. That's legalistic, right? That's about, I have to do something in order to be accepted and, and favored by God. That is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is, I've already rescued you, family, through my son, Jesus, this is God speaking. So now you get to obey. Remember back in the Old Testament, we've said this a lot, when God rescues Israel from Egypt and he takes them out into the wilderness and he takes them to Sinai and he says before he gives the commandments, he said, I am your God who has rescued you from slavery. I am the God who has delivered you and because I've done that, now here's how I want you to live. See, the perfect law is the law, as James says, of liberty, of freedom. That obeying what God says actually brings life. It brings life. So this isn't legalism, this is gospel. This is good news. And let me ask you, when you think about your actions this week as you've interacted with colleagues, you interacted maybe with your spouse, your kids, have your actions revealed that you believe the gospel? I, um, we had a great conversation in our MC just about what does it mean to tell your kids you've blown it? And that's hard to do. I mean, it's hard to tell anybody you've messed up, right? That you, you, but when you come to your kids and you're, and you're saying, hey, you know what? Um, and I have to do that a lot. Where I get angry and I have to come back to my sons or daughters and I said, guess what? Dad messed up. And I need Jesus so badly. Will you pray for Dad. Will you pray that I would walk in his ways just like I pray for you? The law of liberty, the gospel, frees us to be able to do that. 
And I just wanna encourage you families, I'm, I'm just thinking through this, maybe I wasn't planning on this, the Spirit is telling me this. I wanna encourage you, moms or dads who are afraid, you think right now you're seeing like, man, I have blown it. I have just really messed up. I've treated my kids wrong. I've spoken to them wrong. I've spoken to my wife, my husband, whatever wrong. They've heard this. I want to tell you and encourage you, the grace of Jesus covers you. So you can go to your kids and you can say, I messed up. I blew it. I need you, Christ. Sons, daughters, I need Jesus. Pray for dad, pray for mom. The good news of Jesus frees you to do that. And I will guarantee you, I guarantee you, your kids will see that. And if you want to train them to walk in God's ways, one of the best ways you do that is you show them your humility in the face of the wrong that you've done, your humility before God. James isn't specifically talking about that, but I hope that that connects And the reality of that, it just kind of helps us to think as James is talking here is that all of us are riddled with unbelief throughout our entire life, right? Uh, I think of what Jesus said to his disciples back in uh, John 16. And he was talking to his disciples about the spirit of God. And he was saying, this is when I leave, I'm going to be sending the Holy Spirit to you. And, the, uh, and, he, and he says, these are the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. And one of the things that that Jesus tells his disciples is that the Holy Spirit would be convicting us of sin. Specifically, convicting us of sin in our unbelief of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. And in that passage, Jesus kind of connects these dots, basically saying that our external behaviors, and I, let me caveat, our sinful external behaviors are always directly related to unbelief in Jesus. And so that when you act out in anger, when you speak rashly, when you are refusing to admit that you've sinned, whatever that looks like, it's because at, that, at the core, essentially you are not believing who Jesus is. And you are not believing that he is worth it, that he can save you now, continually. And if we're continuing to soak in unbelief, we're like, as James says, this mirror man. The man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and totally forgets what he looks like. It's like the person who hears the good news of Jesus and says, so what? Doesn't change me. It's not changing the way I live. Not changing the way I think. And I wanna be clear. Because again, this meekness is if we are looking in a mirror, we have to be willing to look at ourselves and really say, God, where am I not living obediently to you? Have you asked that this week? Have you gone to God and said, God, where am I messing up? Where am I not living in the obedience that you require? Where am I failing to believe the truth and instead believing lies? Look at yourself. That's why, that's why uh, Paul in Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's this idea of assess what you're doing. 
Assess what you believe and what you're acting about. Work it out. But here's the other part of it. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his great pleasure. So I want you to get this really clearly that when you go to God and you say, God, where did I mess up? What do I need to do? Do not start thinking falsely that your doing is what's gonna give you favor. Don't start thinking that your doing is going to make you right with Christ. You're already right with Jesus. So now you get to go back and say, Jesus, because I'm right with you and because I know that your gospel is good news, it's the law of freedom, how then should I live my life? And Jesus, I know that you're gonna give me the strength and you're gonna give me the power to live it and to want it. So how do I know that if I'm, a, I'm really saved? People are asking that all the time. How do I know then that the word of God is really in me? Do you want to change? Do you go to God and say, God, I don't wanna be this way. Whatever it looks like, I wanna be like you. Make me like you. I'm struggling. I've been dealing with this for 40 some years. I don't get it, but I trust you and I know that you love me. Sit and rest in that. And family, if you're sitting there going, I don't really wanna change. I don't really care to change. Then I'm gonna say, you better be concerned. You better be concerned. I wanna be clear, we believe what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that is by grace, we have been saved through faith and it is not our own doing, it is the gift of God. We believe that, it is God who is saved. We sang that song, the very first song this morning of grace, grace alone, I think is the name of it. Love that, it's all about Jesus's work. But often we just, Memorize Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we forget verse 10 that says that we have been saved because we're gonna do God's good work. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The goal of our salvation is not just a destination, that we're just forgiven, we get to go to heaven when we die. No, the goal of our salvation is that plus we now get to go into the world and show what the world, what God is like by living the righteousness of God, telling the good news in word, in deed, in language, and in life. If you're truly changed by God, your desires will change and your actions will follow. And James then, the very end, 26 and 27, just shows us then what this looks like when we have actually heard, received, and then obey. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one unst oneself unstained from the world. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because the rest of the letter is gonna unpack these three things. And these aren't exhaustive, but what James is basically saying is if you've heard the gospel, if you've received it, then you're gonna live it out and it's gonna look like this. You're gonna control your tongue. 
You're gonna have a concern for the hopeless and the helpless. I like to say the least, the lost, the left out. And then you're gonna want your heart to be completely, wholly devoted to Jesus. Just a real quick note here. Often when the Bible talks about religion, it's talking about this uh, uh, fruitless outward expression of, of ritual that is devoid of God's power and love for God and love for others. That's not how James is talking about it here. He's basically, remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience who would understand that religion here is the outward expression of worship. It's outward expression of devotion internally and outwardly. So he's saying, if you wanna know if your religion, your worship is true, then you're gonna control your tongue. You're gonna be a people that hears the gospel and hears and knows the gospel before you speak. You're gonna control your tongue. You're gonna be concerned about the least, the lost and the left out, the helpless and the hopeless. And you're gonna want to be devoted to God and everything. What do I do when I listen to this and I'm tempted to think, I am falling so short. Go back to verse 25 and stay there. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the gospels, and perseveres, keeps going, keeps coming back to Jesus over and over, be no hearer who forgets, but someone who does, the doer who acts, you will be blessed in that. You're gonna be blessed in that. You go back to the gospel. As you sit and you go, I'm not acting like I should. My life this week hasn't reflected the good news of Jesus like I want it to. You come back to Jesus, your advocate before the Father, and you say, make me more like you cultivate me and make me wholly devoted to you. Paul says this in Romans. I think we have this. Who is to condemn? Thank you, yeah, behind that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What that means is if you are acting in anger and that defines more of your life, God wants to give you freedom. He gave you his son. Do you not think that he wants to change your tongue? He gave you his son. Do you not think that he wants to bring compassion to your heart for the lost? the hopeless, he gave you his son. Does he not want you to be wholly devoted to him? He will graciously give it to you. Are you asking that? What a good father. Who shall bring any charge against us as God's people? It's God who justifies. It's God who makes us right in his eyes. Who is, next one, are we together? Okay, who's to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. He was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Do you know that? That Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you? 
Make them not defined by anger. Make them defined by peace. Oh, man. And who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer, nothing. Your anger can't separate you from Christ. Your rash tongue cannot separate you from Jesus. Your failure to admit your faults to your spouse, to your kids, to your colleagues, to God can't separate you from the love of Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, family, this morning, flee to Christ, run to him. It's the only way you're gonna be free from anger. It's the only way you're gonna be free from this being stained and polluted from the world. This is what it means to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's to run away from the world. Doesn't mean that we're not engaged. You should know us by now. We're all about engaging this world, right? That's not what it means. James is saying, you know, you are wholly devoted to God alone. And God is so gracious that he will give us hearts of full-hearted devotion. If we would just trust him. Are you trusting him? Hear, receive, and obey God. For it brings blessing. Let's pray. Father, this is a much needed word. And God, we need to not only hear the word, we need to receive it, fully believe it. And God, you need to empower us to live it out. Would you do that? You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also give us everything we need to live righteously in this life? Everything. God, this is good news. We need it. Father, may we embrace it. And may we, in your power and in your joy, be able to live it out for the world to see. In Christ's name, amen.